Welcome to EdView 360. Research shows now that students with strong SEL health demonstrate self-control, they communicate well, they problem solve, they're empathetic, respectful, grateful, gritty, and optimistic. And we also know that neuroscience has advanced our understanding of these SEL skills. You just heard Andrea Samadhi, an author and program developer at AchieveIt360.com. Ms. Samadhi consults with schools on training and implementing social and emotional learning programs and is our guest today on EdView 360. Here's your host, Pam Austin. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EdView 360 podcast series. We are so excited to have you with us once again. I'm conducting today's podcast for my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager's Hopeless Learning, located in Dallas, Texas. We will be discussing the why behind the need to integrate social and emotional learning strategies, activities, or programs in your school or district. Today, we are honored to have with us Andrea Samadhi, who is an author and program developer at AchieveIt360.com, where she consults with schools on training and implementing social emotional learning programs. Welcome, Andrea. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in education? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast today, Pam. This is this is fun for sure. Well, growing up, I always had an interest in teaching and helping other people to understand things that I knew I could explain. My first job was teaching swimming lessons, and then I taught first aid in the schools through our local parks and rec department. And I worked jobs like this where I was teaching something to pay for university and teacher's college. And then when the Columbine tragedy happened, it was one of the catalysts that made me decide to move to the U.S. from Canada, determined to somehow make an impact with education. So I've never really left the domain of teaching and learning, and I feel deeply invested to the field today. Wow. So your experiences in teaching and helping others led to an overlapping passion. Well, I'm certain that you will be making connections for us. The social emotional learning connection, that is. Please share with us how social emotional learning became so important to you. For those of you who don't know, SEL, social emotional learning, is that process of developing self-awareness and self-control and those very important interpersonal skills that are vital for school, work, and, and success in life in general. Tell us more about that. Yeah, definitely, Pam. I can actually pinpoint the exact moment when SEL became important to me. It's one of those memorable moments of truth that you never forget. And if you think back, when I was teaching, I started my career in education in the late 90s as a classroom teacher, and I just felt overwhelmed and frustrated because I didn't have any resources at all to help me manage and teach my students. It was me in the classroom and that buzzer on the wall whenever I needed help. Um, My first teaching assignment was a behavioral class, so I was often reaching for that buzzer and sometimes no one came. And so I had to be really creative to hold my students' attention, let alone teach what was required. And I discovered social emotional learning by chance through a motivational speaker who I actually met through my next door neighbor. And it was one of those moments when you just know that things are never going to be the same again. It was a clear moment of truth. It like hit me in the pit of my stomach. I saw this speaker working with this group of teens. And Pam, it's kind of interesting. You're you're in New Orleans, and that's where these teens were presenting. They were on stage at the Louisiana Superdome. 
and they were presenting the skills that they were learning with this speaker in front of the group of the audience who was all taking notes. And uh, interesting enough, I'm going to New Orleans this weekend, so it even feels more um, impactful for me to, to recall the story. But um, so there was this group of teens and there was this one teen that was ready for his part and he had a really difficult time getting the words out. You know, we've all been there when we're speaking and we either forget, we go blank. And, and the speaker went behind that teen and he just rubbed his back in a way that um, helped him get through and he was able to get his words out. And I know now that this is a brain strategy. The fastest way to calm someone down is to pat them on the back because there's so many nerve endings back there. And I'm sure the speaker didn't know this back then, but he instinctively knew what to do with these kids to change their results. And that's exactly what happened. I watched these 12 kids. Um, some of them had C grades and they went to A grades. If they were on a sports team and they were the bench warmer, they went to the starting lineup. And their personal lives improved, all just from changing the way that they were thinking, their attitudes and their mindset. And I was blown away. I knew that this was important stuff and that we were onto something because I was really struggling to make an impact on the students in my classroom. And then there were these 12 teens that were talking about these unusual results after only a few months of working with lessons that mirrored like what we now know to be growth mindset or self-awareness or self-regulated learning. And uh, when I say it hit me in the stomach, I actually started bawling my eyes out when when I saw the the speaker rub the, the kids back because that speaker was known to not have a lot of emotion. And that's why it's called social and emotional skills. You know, you bring out the emotions and and it just hit me in the pit of my stomach. I just will never forget it. And I had to actually, once the kids had finished speaking, I had to go sell books at the back of the room. And we were working with all these celebrities at the time. And I was the one with the blotchy red face that, you know, everyone was like, what happened to, to that one? Well, she just figured out what she's doing with the rest of her life at that moment. So. Isn't it amazing how one experience can lead to another? It makes such an impactful resonance on you, right? You know, you talk about these skills that the students have learned. You know, I can assure you every teacher wants their students to be able to develop these types of skills. You talked about the academics there, moving from C to, to A students, every teacher's dream. So why do you think teaching cell in our classrooms is so important to developing our future generations? What skills do you think are missing right now? Absolutely. So it's the social and interpersonal skills, the emotional and academic cognitive skills that have been missing. And there's such a high need to infuse these skills into the student's everyday experience. So let me break it down a little bit for the social and interpersonal skills. It's things like how to navigate social situations, resolving conflicts, and showing respect towards others. For emotional skills, it's recognizing and managing one's own emotions, something that I learned early on that I had to figure out. Empathy, the ability to understand the emotions and perspectives of others, and the ability to cope with frustration, disappointments, and stress. And then for the cognitive side, the academic skills, these are the core skills our brain uses to think, read, remember, and pay attention, like focus, setting goals, organizing, and problem solving. These are all skills that are missing, but from a brain development perspective, if we look at the prefrontal cortex that holds the executive functions of our brain, like planning, organizing, organization, and judgment, 
This part of the brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25 for females and 28 in males. So some of these cognitive skills need guidance from us as parents or teachers. And the same with the social and emotional. These are all teachable skills that we've got to hold our, our students and our children, just hold them through till they've mastered these skills on their own because they translate into the workplace. And from speaking to leaders in SEL over the past few months, this is the questions that I ask guests on my podcast, all say that these skills are missing because of the change in times. Like right now, we're so reliant on technology and we have less face-to-face social interaction and we learn from each other from our face-to-face experiences. So students and educators need to continually work on these skills to reap the benefits. And it's not that technology is bad. Here we are using it to record the podcast today. It's just different times and we've got to change the way we do things in light of these different times. And something came up this week. I was interviewing Dr. Dan Siegel. He's a well-known clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine, and he's written 12 parenting books. So I thought I better ask him this question and see what he says. And he told me he felt like seeing the mind or the subjective experience of each other is missing from schools. And he said K through 12 and into higher ed and even into other industries. He takes empathy to such a a deep level where he says we don't just recognize the emotions of ourselves and others, but he thinks we've got to address the individual experiences we're all having in our world. He talks about addressing our differences and then linking us back together, showing that we're all connected to each other and not separate beings living separate lives. We've got to learn how to support and assist each other for future generations to thrive. Right. And and I'm thinking about the idea of you bringing in the executive functions of the brain, that prefrontal cortex, how that's developed. And that's all part of being able to empathize with others and being able to make those connections as well. And technology is great, as you just said, Andrea. Um, But I think it might be correct to say that with the increased use of technology, right, that may be the primary reason for this increased need of cell. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like uh, when I've been working with students in the classroom with, with some of these skills, you only know what happens when you get in front of students and start working with them and asking them questions and seeing how they're interacting. And that's when you see where they are with these skills. And everyone's at a different level, you know, students at different ages are at different levels. And I remember asking some students, I had a worksheet and it was about setting goals. And I said, you know, tell me where you wanna be. Um, Tell me where you are now and where do you wanna be um, when you finish high school? And three out of the class of 30 could do it. And I was blown away. I thought, why why can't they get this activity? And then I remembered that goal setting is a part of the prefrontal cortex. And these are high school kids that probably have no idea where they want to be. They're just figuring out where they are now. So, you know, absolutely practicing these skills um, and figuring out where you are. It's all a part of the process. Right. And I can see it ranged through your experiences as a classroom teacher. So considering that experience, why do you think these cell programs and strategies are important? You mentioned some things. I want to kind of reiterate those. And why now? Hasn't cell always been important? 
Oh, absolutely. These skills have always been important. Like, I saw them years ago, and I know everyone that, that I talk to in the schools, they've also seen them for the past 20 years. But when the research isn't there, you can't just start uh, you know, teaching kids these concepts. You've got to focus on, on the reading, writing, and, and the core curriculum. But uh, if you think about it, look at these statistics. I know it won't shock educators, but did you know that one out of four students struggle with anxiety these days? And one out of five struggle with depression. So it's different times where we have to start thinking about, we have to solve the individual students' needs before we can get to the academics. And research shows now that students with strong SEL health demonstrate self-control, they communicate well, they problem solve, they're empathetic, respectful, grateful, gritty, and optimistic. And we also know that neuroscience has advanced our understanding of these SEL skills. And we know that success in life and in college and career specifically relies on students' cognitive, social, and emotional development, like we talked about in the beginning, skills that we're missing. Research shows that teaching these skills results in immediate and long-term improvement in academic achievements, and they're a better predictor of success than academic ability alone. So we can't ignore them. No, not at all. That term, SEL health, I'm sure that seems to be unique and an interesting term to many people out there. So I'm wondering if our audience is as intrigued by the idea of SEL health as I am. Can you repeat uh, the resources you just cited, the ones that affirm the benefits of developing a strong SEL health? Absolutely. And this is definitely my interest. I watch every webinar on social emotional learning in the country. Um, the quote about strong SEL health leading to many of the SEL skills we know are lacking came from an EdWeb webinar from April 4th, 2019. And I've added that link. The title was SEL, the whys and hows of implementation. And you can hear from the SEL coordinator at Round Rock ISD, Rochelle Fink, about how they implemented SEL in their district with their first step to implementation. And then the first statistic about a student's success in life relying on a student's social, emotional, and cognitive development, that came from a report written by Hank Resnick. It was for the Aspen Institute, March 2019. And I've added this resource link as well. I find this resource so valuable. I've actually printed it and I keep a copy of it on my desk to refer to because it's got some great charts. And I refer to this while I'm working. And that second statistic came from the research report written for COSL.org by the Civic with Heart Research Associates. And this was funded by Allstate Insurance. They've had a focus on youth since 2005 when they learned that teen deaths were reaching epidemic levels. So they developed an educational awareness campaign and invested $45 million in youth SEL programs. And their goal is to ensure that 14 million youth develop SEL skills by 2022. The report outlines a national survey of current age, so age 14 to 19, and recent age, 16 to 22, and there were high school students, including in-depth interviews with students, and they were looking for schools with a strong focus on social-emotional learning and ones that didn't have it, and they were looking for, there were seven things that they would ask these students, and they all tie into the skills that we talked about in the beginning, but it's just interesting to see that that the report is focusing again on the same skills, knowing how to get along or work with people who are different from you, feeling confident in yourself, understanding other people's feelings and views, 
knowing how to solve disagreements in a positive way, understanding your own emotions and why you feel different emotions, dealing with difficult situations in your life and knowing how to deal with stress. And the findings from this report were the students felt that strong SEL schools were a more positive learning environment where they were likely to feel their voice matters and help them to learn academic material. Student engagement was increased in these strong SEL schools, and they felt safer in school, which is what we all want, and more prepared for life after high school. If you want to watch this webinar, you can just Google the title, but I've got the link actually in the, the show notes. But the title of this webinar was Respected Perspectives of Youth on High School and Social-Emotional Learning through CASEL. And I'd have to share, we will have these links and resources available so that our audience can take a look at all of these wonderful resources that you're mentioning. I'm sure they want to know more about SEL and those connections. Oh, definitely, because there's so much research now behind it. And causal.org is a wonderful place to go. They're the collaborative for academic social emotional learning, the most trusted source for knowledge about high quality evidence based social emotional learning. Everyone should really begin there. And it all started with this 2011 meta analysis. It was 213 studies with over 270,000 students. And this is where the results came, where it showed that those who study SEL have an 11 percentile point gain in academic achievement. And that's a huge gain. Can you repeat that gain? It's 11 percentile point gain. And that's right on CASEL's. If you go to research on CASEL, you can actually look at that meta-analysis. But um, even if you listen to the webinar, they talked about it. Everyone's talking about it these days because the research is now here. That That's a, a huge gain. Um, it also shows that SEL improves school climate, autonomy, and educator health improves. There's so much more involved with students learning than the academics, right? We have to consider that social emotional learning aspects. So that connection here, one thing that we realize is uh, something that's real because teachers go into the the field of education wanting their students to learn, wanting to make a difference. But quite often we have that something that we call teacher burnout, right? It is very real. It's a real problem in education today. I've experienced it myself as an educator. I've seen it uh, with other teachers who are in the trenches. Can we say that teachers can benefit from strong SEL health as well? Oh, definitely. So we do know from research that there's a connection between educator cortisol increase and student cortisol increase. So when teachers who demonstrate social emotional learning competencies, they're more likely to stay in the classroom longer because they're able to more effectively handle these challenging situations like mine, um, one of the main causes of burnout. And You know, who doesn't want a strategy to help overcome the most challenging situations that we overcome? And because I burnt out and because, you know, it is one of the um, largest problems within education these days, I spent a considerable amount of time researching teacher burnout. It's so personal to me. I wrote a report on this. It was actually called Educator Wellbeing and Student Success, a National Intersection of SEL, Neuroscience and Mental Health. And it was for a policy contest that was looking to fund the largest problems education faces today, Um, teacher burnout being one of them. It cost the U.S. $7.3 billion. 
And the well-being of our students begins with the SEL health and ability for the teacher to regulate themselves. And if anyone's, you know, following this work, they would definitely know of the work of Dr. Lori Desitel. She's the assistant professor at Butler University um, from Indiana, and she's training our next generation of teachers on these concepts and actually infusing them into the curriculum through COSL. She's been involved in the standards, um, making sure that neuroscience and, and health and well-being is now incorporated into our standards. And there's also Dr. Kimberly Schonert Reichel from the University of British Columbia. And she did this webinar on June 5th, 2018. You can Google this and the links will be there as well, but it's called Social Emotional Learning, um, Teacher Wellbeing and Student Success. What do we know and where do we go from here? And she talks about the study she did that where she demonstrated that the more stressed a teacher was, the worse behaved the students became because of this link to student cortisol increasing when an educator cortisol or, or the teacher's cortisol increases. So this totally makes sense to me as a parent that when I'm calm, it's so much easier to manage my kids. And then I imagine how I was mentally with my classroom of those 30 behavioral students. And, and I'm not surprised I had problems. They, they escalate quickly. And, and if you don't have the resources or the skills to handle your own uh, emotions, how could you handle the class? That impact, I can recall from my own experience of, of my fifth grade year, the teacher was calm and cool and collected. The classroom was calm and cool and collected. It makes a difference. So we're talking about social-emotional learning for students, but also the benefits of social-emotional learning for teachers as well. Great information. Absolutely, because the school leader, um, first of all, the support, it's the biggest predictor of whether the change takes place. So the school leader is involved in whether the program sticks or not. And adult SEL must be addressed. You know, it, it's it's only a well-regulated adult can help regulate a student. And we know that it's such a high-stress job. It's actually tied for nursing with stress. That's very interesting to hear. I noticed that you have some more information in regards to some feedback for some recent resources from Ed Week. Um, there was a social emotional learning summit um, that educators um, participated in. And where do we go from there? How do we access this? Well, absolutely. Everyone, um, I, I listened to that uh, Social Emotional Learning School Summit. It was an online summit, and it was just interesting that teachers are interested in social emotional learning, but they're not sure where to start, and they're looking for clear starting points and developing their own SEL strategies. So I always say start with costal.org because the website is so thorough. Um, just start and see, you know, what other districts are, are doing. How are they using social emotional learning? And we'll talk about this, the first steps for implementation at the end. But that's really the starting point. Uh, is there any funding that's available for SEL? That's the first thing schools and districts will think about. How can I make this happen? Beyond uh, the feedback from other educators and the wonderful resources you're giving us, is there funding for SEL? Oh, absolutely. So um, it's interesting because I started working with the schools in 2014, and the only way to get into the schools was through grants. And um 
And I just actually saw a tweet, and it was this this spring from the National Association of Elementary School Principals, and it said that the U.S. House of Representatives had just passed a bill to increase educational funding by $11.7 billion, and SEL was one of the initiatives on the list to receive funding, listed at $260 million. So, you know, there's always a procedure of what happens with, you know, with a, a bill, but Finally, we're seeing that SEL is even being mentioned to be backed financially. So things should be changing in the next few years. I'm noticing a difference with the the phone calls that I get here. You know, 2014, nobody was calling me to say, you know, out of my funds, I'm looking to start a social emotional learning program. That just never happened. It was me going out to the schools to say, hey, have you heard about SEL or do you have a character program? And now it's a much different conversation. And how exciting that is, right, to see it grow. We're looking at a growth of SEL implementations, right? I want you to tell me what you think about this. Do you see us right now at the beginning of that curve? And why do you think government has taken um, notice of SEL and its importance? Oh, absolutely. So when there's research behind something, that's when the funding comes in. So I think that's the start. Um, And I do see that we're at the beginning of the curve. So I know that most educators know what SEL is. If you were to ask, oh, yeah, I know what SEL is. But not every school is implementing a program yet. Um, And uh, I I mentioned that I've been working with SEL since 2014. And, you know, finally, I'm getting emails from schools that want to get started. I've been following Linda Duesenbury from CASEL.org on their Collaborative States Initiative since 2016. So back then, there were only eight states that had adopted K-12 SEL standards. So there are standards in place for SEL. And now in 2019, there's more than 30 states and one U.S. territory. And that this represents um, uh, this represents 11,850 school districts, 67,000 schools, two million teachers, and 35 million students, preschool to high school, that are implementing SEL standards. So what it's getting growth. there. Yes, what growth! I say it is a movement, social emotional learning movement. I would think. Yeah, definitely. And the research that we know shares a clear impact on student achievement, like we talked about with that 11 percentile point. So when there's that research there, the funding follows. So I definitely see we're at the beginning of the curve and and still there's so much to consider. Everyone wants to know, well, you know, how do we have time for this? How are we going to measure this? Well, there are experts attached to COSL who have clear measure measurement tools. So I interviewed Clark McCown. He's the president of XLLabs.com. So he's a leading expert on SEL assessments and implementation. And he has books and strategies and resources for how to measure. And there's other companies out there as well. But through COSL, you can definitely see how you can translate your needs and solve them for uh, a, a social emotional learning solution. All right. So not knowing everything shouldn't derail your opportunity to have a starting point. There are some resources out there for you right now. Right. So how does social emotional learning, how does SEL help prepare kids for the future? Why is it so important? Well, it's definitely important for their life after high school, right? So there was a recent survey that showed that 58% of employers say that college graduates are not adequately prepared for today's workforce. 
and they noted a particular gap in social and emotional skills. And students who learn to master these important skills will get ahead faster with less effort and frustration than those who lack these skills. And we mentioned the social and interpersonal skills, emotional and cognitive from the beginning, where we, we see there's a gap. So these skills do translate into the workplace. So if we don't do something now, the students of this generation will have a difficult time in the workplace. And there's five distinct components of what we call in the workplace for social emotional learning is emotional intelligence that's important. And just look at what they are and you can see how they translate over. But the first one is self-awareness. And it's important in the workplace because you need to know yourself before you can help others with whatever product or service you're going to be involved with. You need to have self-regulation because there's going to be many times in your day where you're going to be tested. You've got to be able to manage your emotions under pressure. And then you've got to have an internal or intrinsic motivation to get up and go to work and serve every day. And you need to have empathy so you can connect to others in your organization and be able to see the world through other people's eyes. And social skills are important for, you know, going everything from ordering your lunch in a restaurant to picking up your rental car, dealing with the front desk employee in the hotel that you're staying at. So if students do not learn these skills at an early age, they'll definitely struggle in their life and future career relationships. So whatever model or SEL competency a school uses, whether it's CASEL's five competencies or something else, the idea is that we're preparing students to thrive in their future in this ever-changing world. Yes, just listening to you list those competencies, I'm sure most of us are thinking, wait a second, shouldn't kids have these intuitively, right? I want to go ahead and repeat those one more time just for our audience to hear. Self-awareness, self-regulation, internal or intrinsic motivation, empathy and social skills. You laid that out so nicely. These are social skills we need to teach our students. Make sure we integrate with strategies as we are teaching them. So now that we know the why behind introducing programs or SEL strategies in a school or district, what are some good first steps to begin? You promised them to us, Andrea. I'm holding you to it. Right. Well, from from experience, I know when you you do this and you mandate it from the district up, it doesn't work because I've done that and it did not work. You've got to have buy-in, teacher buy-in to start out with. Everybody has to be involved in whatever program you're doing. You first of all start by identifying your team. So in schools, this would consist of principals, counselors, teachers, district leaders, and don't forget to have students involved and everyone's input matters. Then you've got to align your mission as step two, figure out what you're doing, what are your values and beliefs, why are you doing it, and get the buy-in needed because there's going to be times when things are going to be difficult and you've got to figure out why you're doing this for, for the program to stick. And then you want to map out for step three, you want to map out your strengths, your weaknesses, 
opportunities for growth and threats, things that you want to be aware of. Where are you right now in your school? What are some areas that you want to improve? Think about some roadblocks ahead of time and some strategies to overcome them. So it's kind of like planning out, you know, what what are you going to, what, what's your vision for your school with this SEL program? And then step four is create your roadmap. Once you know where you are and where you want to go, it's very easy to figure out what are you going to do on a monthly basis for your SEL program. And then step five is choose your program and approach. So you might decide to choose a full year program. You could purchase one. You could look at COSL's program guide. You could find some programs that you hear from other schools are working. Or you could use the kernel approach, which is a low-cost, low-burden strategy to implement your SEL program where you just do certain things at certain times and choose the topics that will help you solve the problems you've identified. And then just get started mapping out what your year is going to look like. And everything is going to involve, um, you know, looking to see did this work, you know, what didn't work. Um, pick your training format. Are you going to choose a few schools in your district to implement SEL? Or are you going to go district wide with everybody receiving training together? So that's a, a big picture look about um, what I would say would be a good way to get started. And we always want to measure. So I did mention Clark McCown, the president of Excel Labs. Um, you want to have a, a way to measure, you know, where you were in the beginning. What are you going to measure from your students and have some sort of plan in place to measure? Um, and Clark McCown dives deep into the language of SEL assessments and best practices to measure SEL within your school or district. So over time, it's not going to be an immediate change, but you can look at year one's data, year two, and then you'll start to see patterns. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's, uh, over the long term, that's where you see the results. It's not a quick fix. Oh, thank you, Andrea, for such a common sense approach and a way to measure it because you definitely want to identify a baseline and see growth over time. Again, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners go to follow you on social media and learn more about SEL and your brain research? Well, thanks so much for having me on, on your show today, Pam. It's been uh, it's been so much fun to speak with you. Anyone can find me through my website, AchieveIt360.com, or on LinkedIn, Andrea Samadhi, or Twitter, at Andrea Samadhi, or Facebook, AchieveIt360, or you can follow my podcast, Neuroscience Meets SEL, on iTunes. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please join us next month for Dyslexia Screening, What You Need to Know with Dr. Roland Good, subscribe to our podcast at voyagersopers.com forward slash edview360 and on iTunes. Pam Austin from Voyager Sopers Learning, bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you. Thank you, everyone. This has been an EdView 360 podcast produced by Voyager Sopers Learning. For additional thought-provoking podcasts and articles, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at voyagersopris.com forward slash podcast and on iTunes. Thank you for joining us.